Welcome to Lead with Kindness, our podcast where we talk about how kindness, inclusion, professionalism are essential. They're not luxuries. We're grown-ups working in a grown-up situation, and these things deserve to be mandated, in my opinion, but at the very least fostered, taught, and modeled by leaders. I'm very happy to have with me today Erica Harrison and Alex Taub, who I had the pleasure of working with on Tom Swift and Nancy Drew. They're both leaders in their own rights. They're tremendous writer-producers, and they've been in the industry for a while. And they both have kids, which is why I wanted them in particular to talk with me today about the importance of work-life integration. This is a phrase I just learned from our last uh, guest, which is instead of work-life balance, because I agree there's really no balance ever. What is work-life integration, and why is it so essential for workplace culture? There's a person who I just interviewed last week, named Akima Brown, and she has this organization, Real Families for Change, and she's doing training programs and advocacy, and she sent me this study that they did about what it's like to work in Hollywood, essentially, you know, comparing this to other industries, and kind of why people don't stay in this industry as long sometimes, why they opt out of it, particularly around issues where their outside lives are not given space to breathe, essentially, like where they can't sustain families, where they can't be a caregiver to somebody, where they actually just can't even, like, go to the gym, you know? <laughs> like, it's a very difficult job sometimes. And her assertion, which I agree with, is that sustainability is actually better for profits, better for business. And one of the keys to sustainability is this work-life integration question. So either one of you answer this question as you uh, feel moved to respond first. What's it like to raise kids as a TV writer? Exhausting. (laughs) Uh, Especially in that first year where you're just trying to figure out how to be a parent, how to split or divide your mind between work and the child that you have at home, particularly for me, that first year was all about nursing and how to Mm -hmm. give your body to this child and also walk out of the room Mm. and not feel guilty that you are leaving your writer's room to go and pump in your office. (laughs) And then you're stressed about not pumping enough. And then you're not producing, you know, gold for your child to thrive on. Right. But I also think it's similar to being a working parent in any given career where you're trying to figure out, should I be spending more time with my child or should I be spending more time devoted to work? And that that all depends on the room and the hours. And when you go home, do you have homework? Do you get to kiss your kid goodnight and then say, mommy has to go do some more homework and then go to bed and hopefully I'll see you in the morning if I don't have to get up and write some more or send emails. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of, I think, writing. So much of it is, I don't want to say a 24-7 job, but you come home with homework most nights. So that's mm-hmm. hard to find that balance of raising kids when you spend so much of your time at home with them and also working at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... um. I mean, I was very lucky in that I had an amazing, I have an amazing partner in uh, my wife, Alisa, who, you know, who was helped, did more of the, the raising than I did, mm-hmm. I will admit. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's, uh, 
yeah, you're sharing your brain with mm-hmm. with the kids, regardless of right. you know you're you're either home and thinking, what am I not doing at work, or you're at work thinking, what am I missing at home? Yeah. And um, but again, I, I think Erica's right that it's probably true in every business. And I mean, I don't know if it's for better or for worse. I can like I can match every event in uh, my child's life to what I was, what show I was working on <laughs> sure. at the Same. moment. Yeah. It's like um, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay was born first year of early edition. <laughs> Jonathan was born fourth year of early edition. Uh, I know when each of their which show I was on because each of their bar and bat mitzvahs was because <laughs> I, I just remember thinking about them while I was at work. <laughs> yeah, my lawyer gave me advice early on. This was before I even had kids. She said, "When you're at work, be at work. When you're at home, be at home." I think it's great advice, but I wasn't really able to follow it. <laughs> no, it's it's hard. I remember some. I don't even remember which show this was, but. Racing home and like, getting increasingly resentful. I'm not probably either with myself or with the job or the profession I'd chosen or who I was working for. <laughs> that I'm, I needed to get home before they, um, uh, our young someone went went to bed. And mm-hmm. sometimes I wouldn't, and sometimes uh, I would. But mm-hmm. it was, yeah. It. I feel like it can speed up uh, burnout, but mm-hmm. um, possibly again, that's like any um, any job. I think you just don't want to get, and I did get to the point where the cat's in the cradle song is sort of going through your head. <laughs> and it was. In the first couple of years, it did not go through my head. But oh, no. then it was constant for, oh, no. uh, for years. The cat's in the cradle song being where the lyric, at the end of it, the guy who was sort of neglecting mm-hmm. his son, now his son has no time for him. Right. And it's this very, like, you know. When you coming home, Dad, I don't know when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I shouldn't laugh so hard. That definitely went through my head plenty. This reminds me of when I think I might have been working on Vampire Diaries, which was a job I love, but it was labor-intensive. And Casey said, Mom, I think I want to be a writer when I grow up. And I said, oh, that's awesome. And he said, but not a TV writer because I want to see my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Ouch. But um, I also, you know, I'm glad that I had a career while raising kids. I have friends who didn't have a career while they stayed home with their kids, and there's frustration in that too. You know, you feel like you missed out. But I struggled after my first one, particularly. She, at the time, Casey was identified as a female. And Casey never slept well and was a picky eater. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't great at nursing. And it was incredibly stressful. And so I was sleep deprived and anxious and and all the things that are not conducive to coming up with great pitches in the room. (laughs) So that was a very difficult experience. And also, it was not um, a particularly nurturing environment. But with Jackson, I was more fortunate. He was an easier baby. I switched to formula right away. We're getting granular now about motherhood. But, like, folks, if you're out there and thinking about formula, please go with formula. Yes. <laughs> it's so great. It is a lifesaver. And mm-hmm. your baby doesn't really care. Nope. Unless you have a baby who does care. And then, you know, there are other things that you can strategize around. It, and I have a lot of sympathy for those folks, too. But with Jackson, I hired a night nurse. One of the great things about getting paid well as a TV writer is that you can afford extra help. I really feel for people who are doing this and they cannot afford a nanny or extra babysitting or a night nurse, which was a lifesaver for me. At any rate, I did come up in rooms where I felt like people wouldn't take me as seriously if they knew I was a mom. So when I went to Lost, I didn't mention my kids at all. I interviewed without mentioning kids. I had the first couple of job, couple of months on the job. I did not mention that I had kids, let alone a newborn at home, and they were all like shocked. And I just was constantly pretending that I was a a straight white man. I was like, what would the straight white men in the room do? This is how I'm going to act. And I did that to survive. And that was one of the reasons that I kind of changed how I ran the rooms at Mm -hmm. Nancy Drew and Tom Swift, because I was like, that wasn't healthy, you know? And also, like, what's so great about being a straight white man? No offense, Alex. (laughs) 
I did the same thing as far mm-hmm. as like when I go to a room, this is how I dress. Yeah. This is how I need to present myself. This is mm-hmm. how I need to speak. And I'm I'm just like you all. Like I can joke. <laughs> I have the same, you know, spirit. I'm, you know, I can be nuanced and carefree. And yeah, I have a kid over here, but I'm also like a great thinker and I can do, you know, all this. But I will say I was fortunate enough to start my writing career in I think a a space where the culture was sort of shifting with having mm-hmm. kids and mm-hmm. I came into my first writer's room without a kid mm-hmm. and I got pregnant in that same room mm-hmm. and I think also I partly maybe because I had a miscarriage in that same room mm-hmm. everyone was really rooting for me to get pregnant oh. and then it was a little bit tough towards the end of that pregnancy and so like then I had Elijah and everyone was really sort of you know supportive and I still felt that guilt of Wanting to be there and like working, what is it? Work as if you don't have a kid, right. but parent as if you don't have work, you oh, know? Man. So that's still, it was still mm-hmm. in the air and I mm-hmm. still put it on myself. And mm-hmm. and then I interviewed with you and Noga Aww. and it was like, oh, wow, like this is, this is a fairy tale. So. Yeah. Well, we both had really intentionally set it up so that people could embrace being pregnant and celebrate that and and not feel like their job was on the line. You know, Saline took the job when she was pregnant, and she interviewed pregnant. It was great. And we set it up so that she could take maternity leave and come back, and it would all be very seamless. But, it that, was, yeah. Keep, it was a very healthy—yeah, it, uh, was, it was night and day from um, television shows when I started because— um, like, well, I didn't feel, I certainly didn't feel that resentment, but there, I think part of it is what you bring to, to the show, whatever insecurities, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. every writer I know has insecurities. Oh, yeah. I feel <laughs> like we're all competing. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the, you know, you can't, um, you know, you don't want time off. You don't want to ask for time off. Mm-hmm. You don't, um, and, and there are occasionally you're working for someone who reinforces that. Who, right. And, and then those uh. voices live with you for a while. Oh, sure. Oh, that's really difficult. I mean, let's talk for a minute about that, how it's dampening to your creativity and ultimately bad for business, not as profitable. If you run a room like this, folks out there listening, if you tell your workers that it's not okay to go see a play that your kid is in or if it's like, you know, what do you mean you're leaving a little bit early because you want to get home and and see your kid eat a meal? (laughs) (laughs) Let alone prepare the meal for your kid. You know, like, what does that do to your morale? It hurts. It's, your mind is constantly divided. You're, ne- you're never going to get all of me. Mm-hmm. And you hired all of me to mm-hmm. be in the room. So when I'm having to figure out a pitch and also what time am I going to leave? Am I going to get there in time to pick him up from soccer? Do I need to call someone for someone else to come pick him up from soccer? Mm-hmm. Or to relieve, fortunately, a nanny at one point that we did have. But she's got to go home at some point. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you're never going to get my best ideas, my best pitches, my best notes. Mm-hmm. Um, you really only get a percentage of me. And mm-hmm. all of Erica is way better than even 90% <laughs> of Erica. And I think you both can tell me. All of Erica's fantastic. Go ahead, true. Alex, tell them about even it. Even 50% of Erica <laughs> is better than 100% of most, <laughs> I would say. And also how it's even more profit, I, I think, better for business because you don't want to stay on the shows where you don't have mm-hmm. that. And you will, my experience on Nancy Drew was that no one ever wanted to leave this show. <laughs> and and with good reason, because of how it was run and the level of appreciation and respect and the feeling that you were contributing. And that 
you know, in addition to getting paid, and you want to get paid to do it, but that yeah. is is key. That's everything. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, I feel like you have people who are uh, just thinking, well, you know, fuck this place. Eventually, I'm, I, I can't wait to be done. I can't mm-hmm. wait to, to be somewhere else. And that's, yeah, it's not helpful during that season. And then there's turnover. Mm-hmm. And then you have to pay more to hold on to people. Right. Oh, that's so true. I worked yeah. in a place like that coming up where there was constant revolving door of people because people who took the job eventually, you know, the word got around that this was a really difficult place to work, understatement, and you would only take the job if you had no other options. So then you're dealing with people who are kind of like, well, I'm just here as a foothold on my health insurance until I can get a better situation so I can go into my next job saying, like, I'm coming from a staff position instead of I'm coming from not having worked for a season or so. And then when people did stay, I mean, they would have to back up the money truck to get Mm. these contracts renewed of the really high-level people who knew the show Mm. and could train the next round of recruits, you know? And that's how the show kind of staggered along. And it was fine in a way because it was a profitable show and people liked it. And I don't know, it's sort of frustrating to me that people can run a show very poorly and yet it's a hit for the network. I mean, I'm endlessly frustrated about that. Yeah. (laughs) it's Nobody cares about how the sausage got made. They just Mm -hmm. want to to be very pretty and delicious and Mm -hmm. and keep doing whatever you're doing to make that happen. Yeah. Unfortunately, and whatever they're doing to make that happen is not always healthy physically or Mm -hmm. mentally. Yeah. I mean, you've worked in some really difficult places as well, Alex. Yeah, yeah. I remember on um, an early show that I won't name, (laughs) um, uh, it was a big show, and I remember my agent saying, this is the the big show of the year. You want to be here. I'm like, okay. And the, uh, my anniversary is May 28th, and shows usually begin around uh, right. that last week in May. And I remember we showed up that first day or the second day, maybe it was a Wednesday. And by Thursday, we're like, well, we're all going to come in this weekend to oh, come up Memorial with Memorial Day weekend. And oh, no. You're right, on a Saturday. And I, oh we had God. plans to go away. Right. And I said, I, you know, and you don't like that. That's certainly the first day. You're thinking, oh, I'm going to tell them that I can't be here. But at the same time, it's a Saturday. But right. I did. And, you know, at that point, things had, uh, things kind of soured from there on out, oh which gosh. was ridiculous. But uh, And I don't think it was simply because of that. There were other reasons that things soured. But, yeah, that was – you got a sense of that sort of the – how that show is going to be run and the level of respect people will have for, for the writers. And, you know, you need that. You need to show if, – if you want them to do good work, you mm-hmm. need to show uh, a great deal of respect. Right. I think that's so true. I also work harder when I'm in an environment that is sort of respectful yeah. of mm-hmm. my work life. Not integration. Bal- in- integration, yes. work life integration. I wanted and went hard for mm-hmm. Noga and Melinda. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> me too. Because like, oh, you, you go above and beyond when you know you're just surrounded by good people and love and respect. So mm-hmm. it's right. only going to help motivate everyone to want to stay longer. And if they're not staying longer when they go home, they're actually thinking about the show yeah. instead of pretending, yeah, I'm thinking about the show when I go home, <laughs> but really I'm actually like feeding the kids and doing mm-hmm. this. You're, and you're doing all of that, but there's this other thing in the back of your mind because you truly care about the show and mm-hmm. the people on the show and you want it to do well because you want it to go for seasons and seasons right. and seasons because you right. want to stay on that show. Right. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been on shows where 
the staff members were low-key rooting for its demise because yeah. we all hated the environment so much. Right. There was satisfaction they for wanted. us in feeling like, oh, we're going to get canceled. This misery will end, you yes. know? <laughs> I remember sitting, yeah, up in some high-rise, and you'd, I'd hear ambulances coming. I'm like, oh, I hope they're coming for me. <laughs> That, you know, at that point, you're thinking maybe I'm in the wrong business. But I remember one of the many, many things you did that was, uh, you and Noga, I felt that that was very smart, was if there was something you wanted me to, to write, like, on a weekend or even uh, on a day. And it's something that, you know, my nature would have me stretch out and do over the course of two or three days. You'd be like, I, can we have that by lunch? I need that by 4 o'clock. And then the rest of your day is clear. You know, it's going to be much faster than you've done it. But um, it's... Uh, very respectful of your time. Oh, thanks. And your work was always superlative, Alex, and so was yours, Erica. And so we loved setting the little timer things if we could plan our day. But then we knew that you wouldn't be spinning your wheels to a kind of like, there's a diminishing returns once you're, um, especially if you're doing, for instance, what a, a number two on the writer's room is often asked to do is like revise a thing, kind of get it to the 10-yard line, let's say, and then the showrunner puts a little sparkle on it, and then we send it to the network. It's really great. Like, uh, all those 90 yards, like, you don't get as much glory for. <laughs> but they're so essential. And um, because we were able to just plan these scheduling things, it made everybody happy, including the network, including production, who's waiting for the draft, because all of these things are on a timeline. When it's a more, like, HR kind of question that you have for the showrunner or a task that's more about work-life integration, how do you propose those questions to the showrunner, or how do you even get that kind of feedback from the staff of, like, what's the issue and how could we address it? Are you asking if someone comes to you with an HR? Yeah, or, like, say in this situation, say in a hypothetical situation, you're in a room where the showrunner seems completely oblivious to the fact that people have lives outside of this office Mm -hmm. and does not like to go home to their own family because maybe they're having, like, a difficult time in their marriage. And... Everybody else wants to go home, and they've been saying to you, we're not doing anything past seven. Why are we still sitting here? You know, can you talk to the showrunner for us? What are some things that you can do? I would go to the showrunner and be extremely honest in that Mm -hmm. we are not getting the best work out of these writers Mm -hmm. past 5.30. Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I see them start melting down and breaking down. And when they come in in the morning, whether you're here or you're not here, showrunner, they have so many good ideas, and they've been thinking about things overnight, and they're very expressive and open and creative. And I can tell that's their best work. And after lunch, the mm-hmm. same thing, especially when they get that caffeine burst. <laughs> it's great. But we're not getting anything from them. Mm-hmm. And I, my concern is that the longer we keep them after hours, we're going to stop getting that burst of energy in the morning because everyone mm-hmm. is going to be so tired and drained. And I just don't think that they're going to really understand the show that you want to create mm. if we keep up these this schedule, these hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I I think what I would do is call Erica first and say, what should I <laughs> Can you just script what I should say here? Because, no. Yeah, I agree with everything. I don't know that I've ever done it quite so concisely. And I think also it where you are in, in, in your career and the confidence that you have will dictate how you approach uh, the showrunner, how well, you know, where you are in the season. If it's someone you're also getting to know, you're trying to figure out what is mm. the best way to um, get this a- across to someone in a way that doesn't just, um, you know, generate uh, immediate defensiveness and, right. and hostility. Because, uh, <laughs> 
you know. Yeah, it's true. Yes, it's true. It's true. You have to be kind of like, you know, managing upwards. I like what you said, Erica, about like the show that you want. You know, yeah. if you go straight to the outcome that everybody agrees on, then that can be a, a better place to start the conversation mm-hmm. from. Like, we all agree that we want the show to be awesome. We all agree that we want the script to come in on time so that we can have our production budget hit the marks it needs to our, you know, so we can have more money for our big mid-season finale. And then for the show, we're kind of thinking about like, oh, yes, those are goals of mine as well. Right. <laughs> How can I get there? Um, right. Then you can say things like, I feel like what would really help you get to your goal is letting the staff go at 5.30 today so that they can yeah. plan and rest so that you could come in. And here's another trick from Berg at the who will do what by when person. I'm big on repeating this advice, which is can you manage a commitment from your boss to say, like, could you commit to coming in at 10 tomorrow and spending an hour with the room so that we can bounce things off of you and get your gut reaction? Even 45 mm-hmm. minutes is going to let us have an incredibly productive day so that we can get to the thing that you want, which is an awesome episode that comes in on time. You know, How do you create a feeling of safety for the showrunner you know, to avoid these defensive reactions or the kind of knee-jerk, I don't know, shutdown sometimes that you get from a showrunner where they're kind of like, well, that isn't the way I like to do it or isn't, you know, I, I'm sorry, I had, I had a lunch. It's not my fault that the executive ran later or whatever. Kind of like, how do you reassure the showrunner that they're not in trouble emotionally? Oh, with like keeping them late or or just like when you when you ask them anything, like just kind of before, just setting the setting the table for any conversation with the showrunner. I think part of it is a recognition that that's an incredibly lonely job. Mm. Being a showrunner is, uh, you know, you you, and you don't know, you don't necessarily know kind of what's in everyone else's Mm. head, and people aren't going to confide in you that much. And so, Mm. an acknowledgement of that, and to just sort of putting yourself in those shoes, and also. Part of it, I don't know if it's that specific incident, but letting the showrunner know that they're doing a great job when you know when mm. you see something. Because I think showrunners don't get told that. Writers will get told that often. Uh, uh-huh. But, um, yeah, because uh, I, I think you forget that the showrunner also, uh, you know, is a writer who would like to <laughs> like to hear that. Uh, yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, the reassurance, I think, is a, a healthy go-to. Because mm-hmm. you're there for a reason, and there are... Even if you don't love every aspect of the show, there is something that you like, and let the showrunner know that going into a conversation, mm-hmm. um, and then making sure you're explaining the why behind the thing that you would like to get done. Because I think when they know the the mm-hmm. why, then mm-hmm. it's not just you're not just coming at them. They know you're not just coming at them. And sometimes, even if you give the why, even if you tell them how much you love being there and how great of a job they're doing. They're just not ready to hear something. And that's Mm. also something you have to accept when Mm -hmm. it happens. And if they're not ready to hear it, you have to let communicate that with the writers as well and Mm -hmm. let them know this is where we are. How should we move forward? I'm ready to go back and let the showrunner know anything and, Mm -hmm. and go from there. But I think it's communicating both ways and being as honest as possible with Mm -hmm both the showrunner and the rest of the room, and expectations, especially at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I think expectations are really important. Kind of like, this is how we do things, this is how we don't do things, you know, to state that from the get-go. When you are both showrunners, how are you going to manage the work-life integration of your staff? I'm going to call Alex (laughs) and ask him to come and give a speech. (laughs) I'm going to do it much better than I've done it before, I hope. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I'm listening to this, and I know that I have not, um, you know, I remember a show that I was, um, 
I was running and there were all these problems early on, uh, Studio Network throwing stuff out until we were behind from mm-hmm. the get-go with, uh, you know, an approaching uh, calendar of, of production and everything. And it went really late. The night mm-hmm. before the script went out, always mm-hmm. went um, really late and I couldn't find, I couldn't steer us out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was, I'm sure it was my own doing. So I will, um, yeah, I will think about how the last couple of shows I've been on the run <laughs> and try to apply those lessons. Okay. Sometimes it also seems unavoidable, and I think that if you come to the to the room with, here's what I am up against, and mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. let you all go, mm-hmm. but here's what the network or the studio needs from us mm-hmm. tonight. Right? How can we do that? And bringing them all in the, on the process, I think that helps mm-hmm. in understanding as a staff writer, or mm-hmm. you know, um, I also think that. People live and die by scheduling, mm, and mm-hmm. knowing ahead of time what the schedule is going to be mm-hmm. can make or break a room. Mm. Um, and like we said before, setting expectations and knowing that if you're going out and living your life, you're going to come back with better ideas, right. better pitches, better dialogue on the page. Um, your mind is not going to be divided. So I think setting that tone, setting expectations in that first week mm-hmm. and then letting them know who to talk to if you want to address a situation or a problem, how to move forward. All of that stuff being handled at the gate, at the start mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. writer's room, I think will make and has made a world of a difference on the shows that I have been on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks. I do love a schedule. I mean, just to give the audience an idea of the sorts of schedules, we would have a, a very elaborate spreadsheet about every episode that was coming down the pike, who was writing it, what stage it was at, what things were due by when, to which entities, what the status of things was. And all the writers in the batting order would know exactly when their script came up. So they would know, okay, I really should not go out of town this week. And I would ask them ahead of time, do you have a wedding to go to? Do you have a birthday? Do you have a significant other who you know, you're planning a surprise thing for? Let us know so we're not going to put you on script during that week. And then you can kind of like orient yourself to like a burst of energy right before then. <laughs> or you know, just know that it's coming later because you've been out of town and that's totally cool. You know, Zoom in or email your notes. And then people would be so ready to go when it was their turn. And they would feel like, okay, Everything's been orchestrated for my benefit here. I really want to give it my all, which was great to receive. And then the other thing about scheduling on a granular fashion, like every week we'd send an email saying, this is what Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday will look like, and this is how we're going to end the room at 5 o'clock this day. We might ask you to stay a little bit later because, no, again, I have to go to a screening in the middle of the afternoon. We can't get to till 4. So be prepared that if, you know, if we ask a little bit extra time, that's the day it'll fall on. So people don't get blindsided by this mm-hmm. stuff. But also being like as transparent as possible with the entire process from, you know, we're having trouble casting this one role because it's so specific and that means everything else is going to get kind of bunched up because we're going to have revisions at the very end to address this new character we're introducing because some other person had to drop out, for instance. But also, this is what the network is talking to us about. Like, there weren't any secrets, I don't think, that we kept in the Nancy Drew room. No, no. Yeah, and it was helpful. Everybody had yeah. the big picture. Yeah. And that, and that was extremely helpful because I knew exactly what I needed to help get accomplished mm-hmm. on any given day or right. any given week. So mm-hmm. Yeah, you get everyone rowing in the same direction if they all know what's, uh, what's, the, what's the goal of the day or the week or mm-hmm. month. I will say it's also what kids kind of 
get in the way. Because, <laughs> yeah, you can plot out, I'm going to be writing episode 13 <laughs> of this. And I uh, got my day cleared, and you get the call. Your, your son's calling from the emergency room. He yeah. just broke his arm. You got to fly across the country. Oh, so. no. Oh, random example. <laughs> um, but then you get to use it in a script later on. So that oh, did pays you? Off. That's awesome. No, but I will. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always planning ahead. Yeah, yeah, totally. The kids are the agent of chaos, unfortunately. Yes. But, but if you set up an environment where it's like, we understand mm-hmm. that once in a while things will come up, and that's totally cool. You yeah. know, we'll all pitch in behind you and figure it out. You know, if I could wave a magic wand, childcare on site would be like a game changer for so many people. We didn't even get to talk about the crew members who are working, you know, 16-hour days and never see their families, yeah, truly. Yeah. Like, literally never. Yeah. But, Alex, were you going to? Yeah, no, that, and the other thing about childcare, because kids were present all the time at Nancy Drew, oh, yeah. which was great. And then, you know, as new writers come up, that's the expectation going on right. in new yeah. shows. And uh, so much of it is, is it's an expectation game of what you, either what you've seen before and that's what you expect. And mm-hmm. if it's kind of set as a baseline, then you're, New writers and become you know become old writers who expect that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was a big fan of having. We were fortunate to have an office suite where there was a nursery down the hall, like one of the spare offices. We just made it into a nursery and people could bring their kids, and that was great to know that that there was this little bubble of other life. Yeah. You know, twenty feet away it was delightful. Well, thank you so much, <laughs> both of you, for coming in today and sharing your experiences and your insights. It's so great to have you here, and I hope that the audience has learned some things and taken some teachable moments away about how the work-life integration is absolutely essential for a better performance from your team, which means an easier and more successful life for you. This has been Lead with Kindness, and please come next week when we talk about accountability and transparency with the famous Birgit Sacker-Hansen, the work-life coach who orchestrated entirely the culture of the Nancy Drew and Tom Swift rooms, as well as Liz Alper, who has become an advocate for the assistants and the support staff in Hollywood with hashtag PayUpHollywood, which is like making changes all over for culture. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. 